invite you to 1 Timothy 6 for a message today. Uh, over at the chapel, I've been preaching over a period of months <laughs> uh, through the, the letter that Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy. I'll, I'll just read the text and then uh, share some thoughts about this text. 1 Timothy 6. Let as many servants as... Uh, let me give the title of the sermon, A Charge to the Rich. And uh, I'm going to suggest this morning that all of us are rich in many ways. Uh, rich materially, for one thing. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof become, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputing of men of corrupt minds and destitute of truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, <clears throat> and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they erred from the faith, they pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give, give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all, thing, quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep, keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the day, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his time shall show who is the blessed and only potentate the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute and willing to com uh, communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation 
against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoid profane and vain babblings, and oppositions of science falsely so called. But some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. Very inter interesting scripture. I entitled this sermon, A, cha a, char a Charge to the Rich. And I'm, I'm suggesting this morning that maybe we're all rich. Uh, rich people, rich in privilege, rich in material wealth, and rich spiritually as well. Uh, we might say, oh no, we're not rich, look at the millionaires. But really, if we compare ourselves, I mean, we just ordinary people here in the United States, com com compare ourselves with most of the world's population, we're rich. We live in the United States of America, Every one of us has numerous changes of clothes, and most of us own our own homes, and most of us have sizable weekly incomes, more than many people make in a month or months. Um, so we have much more than the necessities of life. So compared to the world's multitudes of poor, uh, we're very rich. We have worked hard, we're industrious, we have earned what we have, or we've inherited it. Um, have we really earned it? I thought of what, I had to look, look who said this, but Hannah in the Old Testament, when she, when she had raised up Samuel to a certain age, she had promised that she would give her son to God's service, and she took him to the temple and was then going to leave him with Eli. But she, she prayed a prayer of gratitude, and in the prayer she said, The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and he lifteth up. Uh, yes, we work hard for what we have, but many of the world's poor work harder than we do. And we, li we live in a land of privilege and opportunity. And our, our text today says to us, Charge those that are rich, not to be high-minded. There's no, no place for us to be proud or conceited about what we have um, because for reasons we don't know or understand or are able to explain, God has placed us in a situation of privilege where we can acquire material possessions. So I say, folks, that we're rich. Verse 17, we read in this chapter that God has given richly, given us all, has richly given us all things to enjoy. So again, I'm, I think this is saying that we shouldn't be proud or conceited about what we've acquired and accumulated because God is the one who, who gives wealth. Most of us, too, are, have been rich in parental teaching and example as, uh, that we received while we were growing up. We were, were taught to, we were taught to work hard and be industrious and to be frugal and to save and care about our possessions. We learned that a, the value of a dollar saved. So that's something that's been passed on to many of us. And we're rich in spiritual ways, very rich. 
We have experienced the riches of his grace. Here's a few phrases from the uh, book of Ephesians. Uh, we've experienced the riches of his grace. We look forward to the riches of his glorious inheritance. Ours is the incomparable riches of his grace expressed to us in, the, in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The unsearchable riches of Christ have been preached to us. Out of his glorious riches, he has strengthened us with power through his spirit. So we as Christians are, are uh, privileged to experience the spiritual riches from God through Jesus Christ. And uh, that should help us understand about money and about possessions and that they're not the most important thing. When we are living for Jesus, money and possessions uh, become resources, only resources to use in God's kingdom, not, not a goal to be acquired in themselves. Now this chapter begins with instructions for masters and slaves. This is, this is a very interesting situation here. I believe Timothy was in Ephesus at this time. They had slaves and masters in the same church. And the, the um, teaching is that masters are to be fair with their slaves and slaves are to be respectful and work hard for their masters so as not to bring shame on the name of God. Of course, we take these teachings uh, in our setting to be to employers and employees. And so um, if, a, if they... We, as a, if we profess to be a Christian and are not a, not, a good, not a good hard worker and respectful to our employer, then we bring shame on God's name. I believe it's true too. It doesn't say it, say it here, but for an for a employer to be harsh and unfair with his employees, and he, he, he professes to be a Christian, he's bringing shame on Christ's name. Our respectful working relationship should reflect our love and faithfulness to, to Christ. And uh, with uh, the teaching here is that to live with a Christian respect and honor for one another is uh, mutually beneficial to, in this case, the slave and the master, in our, our case, employers and employees. So they had... They had Masters and slaves in the same church. Now, now brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, this would have been a great social inequality in the church, I would think. But now they're, now they're both in God's family. Brothers and sisters. I would think in time that the social divide and the social status symbols would have uh, diminished as brothers and sisters in Christ lived by the great Christian themes of generosity and equality and contentment and humility. In our church and in any church, there are employers and employees. There are those that are more wealthy and those that are less wealthy. There are those that have more and those that have less. But among brothers and sisters, there, there should be no place, there is no place for jealousy 
or superiority. We read in verse 17 that the rich, those that have some wealth, are not to be high-minded and proud. There's no place for lording it over others. And there's no need to feel inferior because you don't have as much as others. And, and I think it's, there's, no, there's not much place for judging. <laughs> if someone is not doing too well financially, we, say, we can look on and say, well, they're not a very good manager, and we can criticize them. I remember a case, I think, I think my mother told me this. Was my, my grandfather, her father, uh, never, never accumulated very much in the way of wealth. And his form uh, wasn't always the nicest looking. And, but she said that her dad was one who would, would drop everything and go help his neighbor. And uh, his own... His own farm suffered sometimes because of his generosity to others. So the Christian church is not a place for judging others about their financial situations. Surely we can help. Surely, surely we should help each other if we if, we, if we're if we're needy in that way. I believe that in the Christian church, the walls of social divide should quietly come down. The Apostle Paul didn't advocate a revolution. He didn't tell the, he didn't tell the slaves to re revolt. He didn't shout for a redistribution of wealth. Though he did teach that those that had means should care for the poor. He didn't even, he didn't suggest uh, he didn't clamor for the abolition of slavery, which is very interesting. But I believe in time, um, if, if the Christian themes are followed, slavery, slavery, slavery would be abolished. I don't, I don't know the history of what happened in the Roman Empire with slavery. I'm not making a comment about that. We do know that Philemon was persuaded by Apostle Paul to receive back the runaway slave as a dear brother. And so I think we see in this text that uh, in, a, in a given church, there, there might be quite a variety of uh, how, how, much, how much a person has in material things. But it shouldn't be there shouldn't be social walls and status symbols that divide us. And I believe the teaching of contentment in this, in this scripture is an important uh, part of developing a culture of equality in the church where everyone is respected as an equal, as a brother, as a sister. Now, in the ver verses 2 through 10 here in 1 Timothy 6, Timothy is instructed to hold to the truth and teach the truth and not to be caught up in unhealthy arguments over theological issues. These verses say that those who teach false things are arrogant and lack understanding. Those who have an unhealthy desire for argument and quibbling over the meaning of words create an atmosphere of jealousy, division, slander, and suspicion. 
Here's a quote from the Tyndale commentary on these verses. Intellectual wrangling often ends up in moral deterioration. Arguments, argument about, uh, yeah, arguments often end up with jealousy, division, slander, and so on. These verses also tell us that a, a, common, a common error of a false teacher is to use a show of godliness to become wealthy. It seems that money was the chief concern of the false teacher. Bible commentator Moffat wrote, they imagine religion is a paying concern. And here's another quote, I think, from a Tyndale commentary. True godliness must never be commercialized, for it is a matter of the heart, not the pocket. Something is wrong when the teacher is getting rich over, uh, off of his ministry. And I think we can look back over our, our um, some things we've seen in our, at least in my life, lifetime, where there were the Christian, professing Christian teachers who fell, who had a great fall because of um, taking in riches off their ministry, among other things. Something is wrong with a, th a theology that tells you that God will make you rich materially. The false teacher will use religion as a way to become wealthy. The true teacher will not use preaching to get rich. Now, we, we conservative Mennonites make sure he doesn't get rich because we don't pay. <laughs> I'm kind of joking. But um, maybe we could do better in making sure the preacher, the minister, can take time off work to do ministry things. The authentic, the authentic preacher, any true Christian, will not hoard financial gain for himself. His convictions about generosity and contentment and living simply will keep him from getting personally wealthy. And then we have the, the teaching about contentment here. Real wealth, real wealth comes by the way of godliness and contentment. Verse 6 says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Uh, another translation says, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Now, godliness is a good and holy life that's produced by deep reverence for God. Contentment, then, is being satisfied with whatever God gives us, materially or otherwise. So how should we be content in the way of material things? Verse 7 tells us, having food and raiment, let us be content with just that. So we need to ask ourselves, are we content with bare necessities, food, clothing, and shelter? Is our attitude like Apostle Paul's of Philippians 4? He says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know how, what it is to have plenty, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
Paul, Paul didn't even need necessities. He said, I can be content when I'm hungry. And we're taught here to be content with necessities. How close are we to be living in that kind of contentment? I think there are two, two phrases, at least two phrases, other things here too that to guide us, but the two I'm feeling to point out is verse 8, having food and raiment, therewith be content. Verse 17, trust in God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. I don't think this scripture is teaching that money or material things are evil in themselves. Uh, riches are not condemned necessarily here. He's even suggesting, suggesting that material things can be enjoyed, but if we're to be content with necessities, then shouldn't we be living a lifestyle uh, somewhere close to that, of, of, of living kind of a bare-bones kind of living, rather than living in luxury? Doesn't seem like it gives us a lot of, lot of room for lots of toys and lots of luxury. Now, I'm not trying to you know, lay out a, exactly what I think a, a simple lifestyle is, but certainly uh, this definition of contentment has to bring us to a, some type, type of, a, in a practical way, a, li a living simply in this world. Birth and death teach us about material things. Verse 7, we bring nothing into this world with us and when, when we're born, and we can take nothing uh, out of this world with us when we die. Job believed that. When, when Satan struck all that disaster on Job and almost all his wealth was gone, Job said, I came from my mother's womb naked, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I have, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise be the name of the Lord. That's quite, quite an expression of faith. Solomon learned, Solomon learned about this. He said, I planted wonderful vineyards. I built huge, beautiful homes. I planted gardens and parks with fruit trees. I collected large amounts of silver and gold. I took great pleasure in hard work. But when it was all done, I looked, looked at what I'd worked so hard to accomplish, and it was all meaningless. It was like chasing the wind. It was not really worthwhile. And I think Solomon in Ecclesiastes and other places said that it uh, just didn't make sense, that people would gather a lot of possessions and money around them and then leave it to somebody else when they died. When we cross over into eternity, we'll not take any of it with us. So in light of eternity, amassing wealth is folly. Now as a Christian, how should I view earning and business and career? Well, we do need to work. And we do need to provide for our families. And we do... Uh, we should work so that we have means to give generously to the Lord by sharing with those who have need. So, so working and earning are, are part of the Christian's duty. 
How can I keep business and career and earning in its right, right place? Well, one thing is clear in verse 9 that um, we cannot love money most of all. We must not. To become rich should not be our goal. If our driving passion is to become rich, this verse says, we will fall into many temptations. We will be trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that will plunge us into ruin and destruction. The love of money will drive people to use all kinds of unethical methods to obtain it. I don't think any of us want to go down that slippery slope of chasing after money. I suppose most people know money can't bring happiness, but it seems like most people, oh, is it? I'm not trying to judge anyone. It does seem like many people believe money will bring happiness. These cravings to be rich are caught, those craving to be rich are caught in a vicious cycle of ever wanting more that leads them to ruin. I think that was from NLT study Bible. Well, here's another quote. Desire for wealth is a personal monster that plunges its victim into the ocean of ruin and destruction where they suffer irretrievable loss. These verses are saying that graspers for wealth have taken a wrong turn. Wandering from the faith, they're helpless in the grips of a merciless deception that causes them much pain. I thought of Lot in this illustration, although uh, the Bible describes Lot as being a righteous man. But it seems like the, the love for material gain may have been part of his problem. Did he take the better pasture for gain? Did he, did he pitch his tent towards Sodom so that he, he could better market his prop, uh, products? Were his loyalties divided? It would seem so. Did he become almost worthless in God's kingdom? It does seem like he had little effect for good on the city. And it is evident that his, his family in many ways was, was brought to ruin. I read a very interesting verse, verse in Proverbs recently. Something like this. Those who worship worthless idols will become worthless themselves. It seems like that's at least partially what happened to Lot. Can't judge him very well, shouldn't judge him, I suppose, from this distance. Another good, uh, good illustration about being trapped by the desire to get rich is the book Light from Heaven by Christmas Carol Kaufman. I wonder how, how many of you are familiar with that book. Um, my mother read it to us children uh, when, we, when I was just a little, a little tyke, I still remember her often crying as she read the book. <laughs> and we'd say, oh, Mom, you don't have to read. But very touch. I would say it was one of the books that, as just a child, moved me as much as any book I remember that age. But the dad and the, the father in the book had, had this desire to get rich and to have, have successful farms, farms and he, he bought a second one. And he treated his children and his wife poorly, sometimes harshly. 
an illustration of one who was trapped in the desire to get rich. Well, how can we avoid falling into that trap? Here's a checklist to think about. And I got this list from the NLT study Bible. I expanded it some. Realize that one day all riches will be gone. Don't trust in uncertain riches. They're unreliable. And remember that you can take nothing to the other side. Number two, be content with what you have. If you have enough food and clothing, shelter, be content. Surely contentment should work itself out in a, in a practical way to a simple lifestyle. Differ, differentiates between needs and wants. Make your choices in relation to your needs. If our income is way over what we need to purchase our needs, then uh, we probably should live way under our means. Remember the world's poor when you're making decisions about fulfilling wants and needs. Number three, monitor what you're willing to do to get money. Those who long to be rich will be hounded with lots of temptations. So we should watch ourselves if we're, if we're, if we're, if we're willing to use, do anything unethical, lie, cheat, whatever, uh, to gain money. Then it means that we're lovers of money. I think that's what it would mean. Number four, love people more than money. Be rich in good works, that's verse 18. Generous to those in need, always ready to share with others. And along with that, love God's work more than money. Uh, if, if we see an opportunity to give to a ministry or, or to a church or a mission uh, where the, the use of funds would make a difference in what they can do in their ministry, to reach uh, people with the gospel, uh, that's, that's uh, a good place to give. Okay, more about career, business, and earning. Maybe you men, I think I'm preaching at you this morning, don't, don't mean to, I'm preaching to myself. As, we, as Christians, let's realize that career, business, and earning are just, a, just one part of our work in Christ's kingdom. It's not, it's not the main thing. Career and business are one, are one platform, from a good platform, from which to preach and live the gospel. Oh, that man is going the second mile. Look, he's willing to suffer loss. That man is honest. He gives his boss his money's worth. That man's fair to his employees. There's a man that turns away anger with a soft answer. Well, I think that businessman cares about me more than the almighty dollar. Do, do our business and work world acquaintances uh, say and think these things about us? We have quite a few men just starting out in careers, I've noticed, in our church. It's kind of a different... Uh, it's different than it was years back. It used to be we were farmers. Um, some of us finished high school, some of us didn't. We just took day jobs and went to work or started a farm. Now have, we have men with some education. And I'm, I'm proud of you men for being.
building homes and fixing cars and doing engineering and sawing lumber and building things. Just want to encourage you that your business and career are not the main thing. <laughs> it's just one part of, uh, part of kingdom work. It's a, it's a platform to enhance and share the gospel from. I want to encourage you to keep important things first, and I'm speaking to myself most of all. The people around you are more important than the, the successful business and career. Your family is more important than the successful business and career. Young men, older men, love your families, love your neighbors. Care about your customers. It's good to examine our daily decision-making, like in a, in a general way, just examine how we make our daily decisions about use of time, say. Uh, do I choose... Do I routinely choose to work the extra hours to make sure I succeed or to bring in some more income and leave my wife and family at home wishing I was there? Do I spend all my energy at work, come home tired and my mind still absorbed with the business and not really engaged with my wife and children? Is my wife's Spiritual and emotional well-being more important than successful business and career. Am I proving that by the decision I make of how I use my time and energy? I know there, there are times you have to work the extra hours. Your farmer, there's an animal that needs has has to have immediate attention, and you have to leave your wife and children. Uh, maybe on a moment's notice. But in a general way, uh, we should just look at our lives and say, am I really putting first things first? Family, neighbor, church family. I'm making a couple of strong statements here. That's just my estimation, okay? Business and career are peanuts in comparison to the importance of wife and family and neighbors. Business and career are paltry in comparison to family and church family and neighbors. Business and career are important, though. They're important to our wife and family because we're providing for them. But in comparison to the worth of our family's soul, uh, they're not very important. They are important in that it's a platform to, to share the gospel from. That's important. Let's just, let's just be sure that business, career, earning, money are not the main thing. At the close of this letter, Apostle Paul uh, gives a final charge to Timothy, this young man. Notice the witnesses to the charge. This is in verse uh, 13. Puts him in a, in a real tight place. He said, uh, Timothy, I charge you before God who gives everyone life and before Jesus Christ. He gave this, give this charge with God, uh, our Heavenly Father, 
and our Savior Jesus Christ. Notice the duration of the charge. It's un until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the verses say that Jesus left a good witness before Pontius Pilate, and he did every other moment of his life, he left a good witness. And the charge to us is to leave, leave a good witness by our lives, like Jesus did. I did notice there it says, this is verse 13, I believe. I give you the charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things. That gives me a lot of hope about living a Christian life, that, that God is the one who gives us spiritual life. And Jesus Christ is our Savior, who has, has, has saved us and changed our heart. And uh, he's, they're watching. They're watching with compassion. And they're, they want to enable us to live, live a godly, contented life. In verse 11 and 12, uh, Apostle Paul wrote, But thou, O man of God, and I think he's referring back, he, earlier he'd been talking about the false teachers and the lovers of money who were described as being arrogant and arguing and slanderous and jealous and causing divisions, falling into many temptations, plunging into destruction and ruin. But thou, O man of God, flee those things. You're different. Don't just drift downstream following the prevailing culture and deception and loving money. You're a man of God. You possess eternal life. You, you derive your values and your standards from the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're different as a man of God. So flee those things and follow after... Um, well, it says, fight the good fight of faith. Now, first he says, flee those things and pursue righteousness, run after righteousness, godliness, righteousness, which is godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Is that verse 12, I think? 11. But the old man of God, flee those things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Isn't, isn't that a beautiful list? <laughs> How different from the other one. To be men and women of faith and love and endurance and gentleness. Following hard after Jesus Christ. Fleeing the wrong things and following hard after Jesus Christ and the godliness that he gives us. Then Paul gives the charge to fight the good fight of faith. Verse 12. The prevailing view about truth these days is that it's subjective and that every person decides for themselves what is truth. Whatever works for you, people say. That's not, that's not the truth that the Apostle Paul writes about. He, he, he writes of the truth and the faith and the doctrine, the body of doctrine that Jesus and the Apostles have given. Now fight the good fight of faith. You've, you've been given the truth from God through Jesus Christ, uh, through the apostles in the New Testament. You've been given the truth, so now stand for it. Stand on it. Defend it, guard it, teach it. For the glory of God and for the welfare of the church, for your own good and for your own, and for your own salvation. Fight the good fight of faith. 
Lay hold of eternal life is the next charge. Also in verse 12. Timothy had been a Christian and possessed eternal life for some years. Why is, why is he instructed to lay hold of eternal life? Is it possible to possess something without experiencing it to the fullest? I believe that's what it means. Uh, did you notice verse 19 is a similar phrase? that those who are generous and give and share are laying up store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may hold, lay hold on eternal life. Doesn't mean they were earning, they were earning eternal life by their giving and their good deeds. They were just living it out uh, to the fullest. When we're born again, we possess the, we're given the Holy Spirit. When we really walk in the Spirit and listen to the Spirit and obey the Spirit and holy good living, then we're laying hold of eternal life in, in that we're really experiencing the fullness of the power of the Spirit. We're to flee the wrong and pursue righteousness and fight the good fight of faith and lay hold of eternal life. Now flee, pursue, fight, hold on to these real active, forceful verbs here. Doesn't sound like passive living, living to me. Maybe sometimes we get confused and we're sitting around waiting for God to do something <laughs> and give us or give us something. And God has given, already given us these things. He's given, he's given us, uh, God has shown us what is wrong and what is dangerous. That means we should run, run from that. God has shown us and is showing us what is right. That means we should, should pursue that, run for it. God has shown us the truth in Jesus Christ. That means we should stand on that truth and guard it and defend it and live it and teach it. God has given us eternal life. He is the one who gives us life. So let's lay hold of it and experience it to the fullness of uh, just walking with the Holy Spirit day by day. O man of God, O woman of God, live in reverence before God your Savior, before God and your Savior Jesus Christ. Be aware of the false teaching that is God's will for the Christian to be wealthy. Be sure that you're not a lover of money. Remember that godliness with contentment is real riches. Be content with necessities and be sure that your lifestyle reflects that belief. Flee the wrong. Pursue what is right, fight the good fight of faith, and lay hold of eternal life. Live fully in the eternal life that we have given. God bless you all. Oh, let's have a song.